On episode 30 of the Goblin Trash Masters, we talk about breaking serve, when to take the offensive posture in a game of magic, and even a little bit about committing crimes on a playground. I'm Kyle, joined by my partners in crime. Say hello, Ashley. Can we not do the playground crimes, maybe? We're doing the crimes, Ashley. Say hello, Anthony. They're coming to get you, Barbara. All right, let's talk some trash. All right, Wall of Roots found me, and I'm very upset about it. Ye oh, Baba no. Man. Your Baba Man. He creepy he... up into Baba Van. No, yeah, I didn't <laughs> like it. Why did you have to provoke Wall of Roots, Anthony? I'm scared to sleep in my own home now. I get scared of bushes. <laughs> why, why would he do anything else, Kyle? Yeah, it's fair. Like, we do it to ourselves. We hang out with him all the time. We and do. He... We make this <laughs> and he choice he thinks it's actively. funny, you know. Yeah, we actively make this choice. Oh, I'm the crawdad man. No, crawdad man. You got to keep them separated or they're going to eat each other. I don't know what's happening. Again, you, you see, need to watch the these shows yeah, so you... our jokes can land. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. You got to keep them separated, you see, because yes. the, the crawdads, crawdads, they will eat each other. It's a known fact. It's nature. Okay. <laughs> and the Bobham man is, he's just a creepy dude that goes around his Bobham van and it's just. It's a quip full, monk. Yeah, it's full of a quip monk. <laughs> for just destroying Kyle's undercarriage. Yes. I I still can't sit right. It's <laughs> it's it's very upsetting. Wow. Fill with a quip monk for great grief to making at Kyle's underneath. Oh my lord. <laughs> All right, breaking serve. That's the topic for today. I love it. This is a concept that I feel like I struggled with so much still to this day. It's oh, like same. it's one of the hardest things in magic like i put it up there with like sideboarding as a general mm -hmm. like it's okay. a simplish concept but it is one that you will get wrong a lot and it's sometimes you can get it wrong and lose a game because of it and it not be immediately apparent why okay and that's what makes it kind of it's hard to detect it's hard to apply mm -hmm. but i think that understanding some of the concept would will help an awful lot looking forward to hearing about it something that i think is really cool prerequisite wise is the who's the beatdown article we've mentioned it before it's a really good one mm. and it can kind of help get you in the right headspace because breaking serve kind of builds on that breaking serve is a term that we'll use to describe when you're on the defensive role and you cast a spell or take a game action or do something that allows you to reposition yourself into the aggressive role now, I think there's like a really, really super clean example for this that a lot of folks might be familiar with, and that is like with Fable of the Mirror Breaker pre-ban in standard, okay? I think this is a really good example. Imagine that you are on the draw and your opponent goes turn three Fable on the play and you on their end step cut down their Goblin Shame and untap and play your own Fable you are threatening to get a huge mana advantage just by attacking with your goblin and you can put them on the defensive. Okay. So the big serve break that we're used to seeing is like when you turn the corner, when you say, I'm no longer trying to play defense, I'm going to activate the celestial colonnade and start attacking, <laughs> you know? Anthony's always the colonnade <laughs> guy. 
I'm, <laughs> I'm always the colonnade guy. And believe it or not, I had a really, really hard time breaking serve and getting out of that. I'm on in a defensive role, switching and turning the corner and saying, now's the time I need to start trying to close this game out. Mm-hmm. My instinct, and I, I think a lot of people that skew conservative in their magic play will do, is they'll stay on the defensive. They just will be very risk averse and won't want to expose themselves by trying to turn the corner and trying to close out the game. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I was thinking of. I, I tend to, when I get into the defensive position, I will stop thinking of how do I move forward for me? How mm-hmm. do I like remove something from their board? Or how do I do X thing, you know? So that would be the difference, right? Like we're talking, changing your mindset from, okay, I don't need to remove this thing from their board because the card that I'm holding is more impactful, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I get to be asking the questions now. They get to, they get to be answering them. Mm-hmm. A lot of it breaks down to, am I playing to win the game or am I playing to not lose? You should always be playing to win the game. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But sometimes playing to win the game and playing to not lose share the same game actions like they look they look really similar when you're on the defensive. Those two play patterns look exactly the same. Playing to not lose might be going past the turn with two removal spells up because you're you're worried about what's happening and playing to win the game might also look like that because you're in a defensive position. But yeah, I see it. I think when those two mindsets deviate is when you should not be in the defensive position anymore, when you should be trying to break serve, when you should be trying to turn the corner, it exposes. Were you just playing to not lose the whole time? Yeah, I really like your point where like they're very close together, those two lines Mm -hmm. of play. And I I think the best example just for people who really just don't play magic and are getting into it and, and trying to learn like this, when do you break serve, when you turn the corner, when do you become the, the aggressor is you look at sports and just turnovers in sports. That's a very simple, Hey, this team took Mm. the game piece from the other team and now they're on the offensive. I don't want to lose the game. And then being like, all right, I don't want to be defensive here. I want to push push my game actions and try to win, mm-hmm. but don't be overly aggressive. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's that thin line of just like going more conservatively or more aggressive. And you kind of have to find that balance and, you know, pick your battles, pick when you have to do those things. And it, it's really hard. It's yeah. really hard to figure out when you have to do that because each game is going to be different and each situation is going to be different. And mm-hmm. I think it's being aware that it's a very difficult thing and not just beating yourself up or being overly confident and just be like, yeah. all right, Let's see where we go from here and and do I be aggressive because of this or do I not be aggressive because of this? I actually I love that example. I think like I'm thinking in basketball, right? You're on defense. You are trying to stay between the person you're guarding and the basket like you're trying Mm -hmm. to, you know, be in the right position. You're trying to get in their way. You turn them over, right? You 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 pick a pocket or something like that and you start going where you want to position yourself is different now that you're on offense. Mm -hmm. And I think in basketball, it's really, really easy to see who's on offense and who's on defense by which team has possession of the ball, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But in magic, it's not. Mm -hmm. It is not that easy. You both have the ball. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's 
it's not that easy because like there's no there's no telltale way. I don't know if you've ever watched coverage where they've tried to have like an advantage bar or something like that to, mm-hmm. that shows who's currently in control of the game. I've shown it to somebody and she was just like we were watching some coverage and she was just like, well, why is the advantage all the way to this player? They're at like three life and the other one's at 28. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, that doesn't the life total doesn't it doesn't matter. matter. Yeah, yeah. But somebody that has heard of basketball today for the first time can easily be told, oh, the person who's on offense is the team that has the ball and then identify immediately who is on offense in a game of basketball. And you don't have that luxury. I am not a sports girl. And I understood that. (laughs) I understood that explanation perfectly. So, well, like the term breaking serve itself is a sports reference. So, right. Yeah. I just like it's so ingrained in me as a magic thing at this point (laughs) that I forgot that tennis existed. And like, don't we always forget that tennis exists? Yeah. 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 I had a friend that people thought was Serena Williams for a while. We hung out a bunch and like she got. I don't think she looked particularly like Serena Williams, but we would be like on the we would be on the streets of Manhattan hanging out together and people would start screaming Serena at her and come up and ask her pictures and stuff like it happened all the time. Oh, my goodness. That that happened with the, like I, I worked at a tattoo shop for a little bit and the owner and one of the artists looked looked like Rob Corddry. He, he was from Children's Hospital and like Hot Tub Time Machine and like he was in a few community episodes. He's like, you know, the, the balding guy that's in like every comedy movie. Okay, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, and he, he just looked exactly like him, just covered in tattoos. And it was so funny because he, he would lean into it, be like, oh, yeah, I'm that guy. And he would take pictures with people and talk about, <laughs> like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, that movie was so cool. I met this guy and it was awesome. Like, thanks for being a fan. <laughs> They'd show it to their friends back home. They're like, that's not who that You're is. You're like, man. that's not him. <laughs> I've seen that with a guy who looked very similar to Johnny Depp. And I am from south dakota i need you to understand that johnny depp has probably never been to south dakota but people will be like hey this guy he looks so much like johnny depp i wonder if it's him and i'm like "Mm, probably not bro like no i don't think johnny depp's summering in south dakota no (laughs) very few people do yeah it's pretty terrible a little bit yeah yeah it's not as bad as florida that is actually an arguable yeah oh my god are we the are we the trivium of horrible places to grow up I think so. Yeah, with our like, powers combined. <laughs> Wonder triplets unite. Take the form of habitual drug abuse. Kyle puts up his ring. Alligator assault. Ashley puts up her ring. Compulsive boredom and a high suicide rate. <laughs> Airboat. Oh, God. I mean, I am from the state where bath salts became a thing and eaten everybody's face. So Listen, we picked up that torch. Jersey yeah. picked up that torch from yeah. you all. We're happy to do it. Mm-hmm. Jersey and Florida, just like two friends that just bring out the worst in each other. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought of Florida as like Jersey's Australia. It's like our prison colony. Oh, my God. That's perfect. It's where the elder Jersey people go because they've become too weak to live in New Jersey and are worried about being killed and eaten. Oh. And you come to Florida and you just get eaten by, you know, Why? an alligator. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, rest in peace, that little child that got eaten by an alligator down there. Which one? Yeah. That's that how horrible that state is. Because I have to ask, ask that question. Yes, it's the most sad question I have to ask, but that's that's Florida. You would think that people in Florida would know to keep it their had... children away from alligators. And dogs and stuff like that. Like They're that's real a... fucking stupid. Like, 
like really it's beautiful though like i just i just think the alligator is like modernity's dinosaur that mm -hmm. it's just held on to i mean it <laughs> is t it is actually a dinosaur so it, the fucker lived like through the, the extinction of its species basically figuring out when to try and break serve is just one of the hardest things to do in magic if you try oh, yeah if yeah if you try and do it too early your opponent's just going to crack back and kill you right yeah and if you wait too long like i'm most likely to do ashley mentioned she was likely to do mm -hmm. your opponent just gets to like not be in a position where they should be on on the offensive and they get to stay on the offensive they get to like keep hitting you and you just kind of run out of answers and they limp across the finish line mm -hmm. yep you you gifting them the victory because of a way too defensive line yeah that's my that was Bad my turnover <laughs> yeah i like to call it my specialty of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory oh yeah i love doing that so it sounds so uh, much more regal. Yeah. Snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. <laughs> it's a nice way of saying I fucked up royally. <laughs> yeah. And I think sounds a lot so much gets, better. Yeah. I think a lot <laughs> gets lost when we talk about I punted as a concept. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think like being specific about like being arming you. Like, we're all about arming you with language to be able to be more introspective about your games and what's going on and how, mm -hmm. how you can improve stuff. Because if like your point is I, I punted. Okay. Well punt less question mark. Yeah. Is, <laughs> is, that's not like, that's not a smart goal. That's not actionable. How did you punt? What were the game actions? The answer to that question is usually going to be, I stayed on the defensive too long. I did mm -hmm. not turn the corner. I was too scared to break serve and try to, take it back i one of my one of my most quoted to me lines that i have ever said was while going on the absolute heater with that fucking sultai standard deck oh yeah was i just went undefeated in day two and somebody's just like what the hell is going on here and i looked them dead in the eye and said i love this deck i literally never have to turn the corner i just <laughs> keep doing defensive things and apparently my opponent is so buried that they concede or like i look up and i'm just like oh it turns out the hyper defensive play i did to put a 12 12 hydroid crisis into play so i could draw six gain six and stabilize also just kills them and i'm just like oh i don't have to take a risk i get to just attack and once and they're dead i don't ever have to try and really turn the corner That's nice both. twofer <laughs> yeah Unfortunately, or fortunately, probably fortunately, we're in an era of magic where that's not real anymore. You don't get to just like grind your opponent to dust and they're just dead with whatever's left over. You you do have to try and go on the offensive. And a lot of the times going on the offensive puts you in a rough spot. Mm -hmm. Like it, it does come with some risk. You know, your opponent is hellbent and you're at a low life total. But they've got haste creatures in their deck and you have a big blocker. Like, do you attack? Do you not attack? What's going on? And to answer that question, I think Kyle's going to talk about like mm -hmm. holding patterns as a concept. Yes. So as many of you know, I played a lot of Yawgmoth. Mm -hmm. it's no, it's no, no secret. But this is something I've experienced a lot 
specifically in modern, specifically playing Yawgmoth against Murktide. And it's the most terrifying thing in, in modern sometimes when it's like late in the game and you're playing against a Murktide opponent and has two mana open. And me, the Yawgmoth player, there's been a lot of situations where like, I have Court of Calling in hand. I just need the Blood Artist. I can go through the loop and I can win. But do I actually go for it? Do I play defensive, see what my opponent does? Do they have Counterspell? Do they have Removal? Do they have a Delirious... DRC, is there a giant Murktide on the battlefield? What what life total am I at? Like, it, it's just knowing when to jam and when to do things. I've played this this matchup a lot, and I've been aggressive. We're like, yeah, I've got Cord, slam it, and then I, it gets countered, and lo and behold, there's a giant Murktide, there's a, a few DRCs coming at me, and I lose the game because of it because I was a little too aggressive. And mm-hmm. same thing where trying I'm like trying to turn the corner too early. Yeah. yeah. Try to go for it too early when I, when I don't have to. And then there are times where I'm playing way, way too conservatively, not playing the cards in my hand or being like, Oh no. But it's, yeah. it, it's just like knowing like if I take this risk, how bad is the blowout? If I play just defensively, like how much do I get punished for it? Yeah, so a holding pattern is what will happen if nothing on the board changes, right? If the game just proceeds without any meaningful changes at all, what is the outcome of the game going to be? And just being able to ID the holding pattern is a huge level up moment for a lot of folks. It can make a big difference. So I really like your Yawgmoth example there because it's easy to jam the Court of Calling when you know 100% it's going to resolve, right? When your opponent yeah. taps out, you're just like, oh, cool, you're tapped out, jam the Court of Calling. This mm-hmm. is easy. There's no thought required for that. I know that this will resolve because it is on your turn and you are tapped out. I am not worried about counterspell, spell pierce, force negation, any of it. Mm-hmm. Identifying the holding patterns, however, make a big difference in what you should be doing when your opponent doesn't give you the obvious answer, right? Does your opponent have a 7-7 Murktide in play? Like, if your opponent has a 7-7 Murktide in play, you can even be fairly certain that they probably have a counterspell and understand, Mm -hmm. if I don't do anything, I'm just going to lose anyway. And that's where you need to kind of, like, take a stab at something. If your opponent has a completely empty board and they only have two lands, no, I'm not playing into your counterspell. Mm -hmm. Fuck it, go, do something. Yeah. Yeah, there's no need gonna... to do anything in that example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was going to be my question. Something mm-hmm. I struggle with is when when do I move from just staying level to this opponent might have a counterspell? Do I play mm-hmm. into it? That is a big question that I have to ask myself all the time. Or do I risk mm-hmm. the play into it? Because they might have some mana up and they might have access to the spell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like to phrase it, who's asking the questions and who's answering the questions? Okay. Mono Green and Pioneer is a good example of a deck that asks a lot of questions. Can oh, yeah. you interact with this Karn before I untap with it? No? Okay, you're dead. Yeah. Can you beat this board of a 4-4, four, four, a 4-5, four, and a 5-6? No? Okay, no. it doesn't matter what you're doing. Can you disrupt this loop that I'm doing? No? Okay. Like, it asks a lot of questions, so it is on the offensive a huge percentage of the time. When we're looking at a holding pattern, Green devotion and pioneer is a really good example of a deck that's really good at setting up a pattern where it says hey if nothing changes i'm just gonna beat you to death with my giant mana producing pieces right just gonna kill you with this old growth troll 
Yeah. If you look at your board, you look at your opponent's board and you just say, I can win right now without doing something. You should seriously consider not doing anything. Just make your attacks. Don't don't commit anymore. Just say, I'm going to make them answer this before I do something else. Right. That is a, a weak point for me. Like I it is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to know, like, OK, if I set this up this turn, like even playing something on main phase two, then I could win. Right. Then I'd have lethal. But also, could I just stay here in case they have some kind of removal and then win in two turns because I still have cards at hand, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of overcommitting. And that's a question I have to ask myself all the time. And Kyle was pointing out on two fronts. There's two things that Kyle had said earlier that I think are relevant to this. A, what are you playing around? Yeah. Are you worried about Supreme Verdict? Right. Or are you worried about spot removal? Because the way you play around those, even if you're playing cautiously, might be very different. The second thing that Kyle mentioned in regards to this is how blown out would you be in either direction, right? Yeah. If you overcommit and they play a sweeper, do you just like you're just like if I do if I overcommit and play a sweeper, I'm hellbent and I've got a deck full of Savannah Lions. I'm not winning this game. Yeah. But one thing I did hear and I really like is you're considering I have them dead on the next turn. Mm -hmm. If I commit this to the board and I if I don't commit this to the board, they get an extra turn. Like that's a good way to think about like what's going. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But a simple way to just bring it back is looking at this and saying, let's let's make up an example that I think ties in really well with Mono White. You are looking at the board, and the only card you have in play is an Adeline. And you are playing against blue-white control. Mm -hmm. They pass the turn to you with three mana up. You untap, you draw, you've got a bunch of other stuff in your hand. Like a bunch of other non-Thalia cards in your hand, right? Mm -hmm. You attack with the Adeline, hit them for three. At this point, if they have a Supreme Verdict on four, they have to cast it. Like if they if they if their only way to interact with that Adeline is a Supreme Verdict, they have to cast it. If they, their only way to interact with Adeline is like an instant speed removal spell, they have to cast it right then and there. Just don't let them use the absorb that's in their hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just say in this holding pattern, I am going to win the game. It is to you to keep yourself alive right now. And then once they've done their thing, then you reevaluate. So let's say you have like a bunch of like one drops in your hand yeah. and you attack with Adeline. They get hit for three and then you go one drop, one drop, one drop, go. And then they untap, play their fourth land supreme verdict. Disgusting. Four for one. Mm -hmm. But let's say that same situation where their only interaction, they had an absorb and a supreme verdict in their hand. You just say go. They untap, they play their fourth land, they look at the board and say, I have to Supreme Verdict again. Yeah. They have to Supreme Verdict again, right? Yeah, in, in that situation, the, the blue-white player wants you to overcommit. They, they need you they, to they, they not you recognize to, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that pattern. And that pattern is, if I, if, if I don't want to blink first, mm -hmm. if I can mm -hmm. look at this board and be like, I'm going to win the game if you do nothing, mm -hmm then just that's all you need. But that's part of the trick, right? Because Adeline needs more creatures in play in order to hit for more damage. But she does make she more creatures. So that's it's a true. substantial it's a substantial clock just by herself. Yeah. And you don't have to overcommit. 
Yeah. So if they Supreme verdict and it's Adeline and say like three other one, one tokens that she made, it's like I, the blue white players, like I have to do it. I'm dead just as Adeline. And you still have a bunch of gas in hand that they Supreme mm-hmm. verdict. You just go one drop, two drop, two drop and right back where you were. Yeah. Adeline by herself attacks for three and then attacks for five and then attacks for mm-hmm. seven. Okay. Right. So in three turns, she's dealing 15 damage. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking, like she, yeah, I was thinking yeah, of her did. as one four organically, like just with yeah. her in play. Mm-hmm. She brings she adds two power to the board every time she attacks, <laughs> yeah. right? Mm-hmm. One yeah. for herself and one for the, yeah, one for the guy. Mm-hmm. And can you imagine if like their thing in their hand is supreme verdict, right? And you've got like a copper coat vanguard or whatever. Yeah. And you go attack for three, attack for five play a copper coat vanguard or something like that attack for mm-hmm. lethal like you're not really risking a whole lot if, yeah let's say they're at two and they've swept your board mm-hmm. as a mono white humans player right right you still got like a muta vault hanging out yep and you're like they could have march of otherworldly light but you're like kind of hellbent and they're about to untap with a bunch of mana and a bunch of cards in hand you got to attack with that mutaball, right? Right. Like you're in a position where that holding pattern then benefits them. If yeah. you do nothing, they are going to win. So yeah, yeah you have to take the you risk. Even something. if you're you're pretty convinced that they've got the march of otherworldly light, understanding who is going to win if nothing changes matters a lot for figuring out what role you're in, who is under pressure to change that. Yeah. I love Delver as an example. Like Legacy Delver, the standard Delver of the past, the blue-white Delver, and even like the Delver deck in standard, the mono blue, Mm -hmm. Talarian Terror deck, they're really good at just like playing a threat and playing what I like to call protect the queen, right? A lot of people misinterpret protect the queen as protecting the threat. You're not protecting the threat. That's not what, what we mean. That's not what is meant by that, right? It is not about play a threat and then let stuff go, but keep the threat alive. Protect the queen. The queen in this analogy is your position. It is the holding pattern. That is what you are protecting. You want to make it so, like, if I play a Delver, I untap, flip a Delver, play my second land, attack, say go. I'm not going to let them resolve their birthing pod, right? Even though yeah. that's not affecting the Delver, I'm just going to basically use this mana leak in my hand on any card because I want to maintain this pattern. And it's so much better if my opponent, if my opponent like plays around in quotes the mana leak by not casting something, they're just helping me preserve that holding pattern, right? Yeah. Because if the holding pattern is I attack you for three and I pass with mana up and then you're just like, I'm not going to do anything because I don't want to get my spell mana leak. Mm-hmm. You pass it back to me. I attack you for three, leave mm-hmm. mana up. It's your turn. That holding pattern, if nothing changes, I'm going to win that game. Yeah, okay. I, I really like how you described it too because like, it, it's funny for the longest time when I, every time I heard protect the queen, I was just like, yeah, protect the creature with like all the, the removal mm-hmm. or counter magic you have. And that is just so a great way to describe it. And I hate to keep bringing it back to sports, but it's just like holding possession. Like yeah. you, you want to just like have your your opponent, your, the opposing team or your opponent, 
be defensive, be thinking like, no, I have to be preventative. I have to be cautious. And you're just like, all right, I'm going to hit you for three. And I may have something in hand. I may not. But mm -hmm. no matter what you play, like like you said, like, oh, I'll play a birthing pot. I'm going to mana leak it. Like anything you do, I'm just going to protect my advantage. And that's, Any, yeah. I love it. I love, I love that. Anything you do that's going to try and wrestle the advantage away from me. Specifically, mm -hmm. like anything you do that's going to try and stabilize the board. Mm -hmm. And that that blue white Delver deck of the past is so good at doing that because like you could just like be looking at your hand of Snapcaster, Mana Leak, Vapor Snag, right? Mm -hmm. And they play like your three mana Vampire Nighthawk and you'd be like, ah, fine. And step Vapor Snag that. Untap, attack you for three, go. Mm -hmm. Then they just go like Vampire Nighthawk and you look at the Mana Leak in your hand and you say, yeah, fine. Yeah, sure. Resolves. <laughs> and then they go, okay, pass the turn and you go end step Snapcaster, target Vapor Snag, Vapor Snag, target your Vampire Nighthawk, you lose a life, untap, attack you for five, go. And then they go Vampire Nighthawk and you go Mana Leak it. Oh, Lord. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right? That is somebody with a bad list because People did not understand how Vampire Nighthawk was not good against the Delver deck. But that is somebody with a bad list that is accurately playing into that, right? Because what happens if they don't play the Vampire Nighthawk? I just have more cards in my hand. Mm -hmm. You know, they have to they have to jam in that situation. They have to do something. That's what makes Mana Leak so good in aggressive blue decks and so fucking rancid in Commander, right? Because yeah. when you're playing a game of Commander for the first, I don't know, three and a half hours of the goddamn game, the holding pattern is just the game continues forever. Like Sisyphus, <laughs> I am bound to hell. <laughs> but in games that are 1v1 and have a 20 life total, like somebody is going to be in an offensive position. It is so good at making you say that the Man Manalik is so powerful in, in that deck or was so powerful in that deck because it said, hey, you, you're on defense right now. I am going to be able to meaningfully protect this holding pattern with efficient interaction. If you play well, I'm going to have good answers for you. If you play poorly, I have the answers for when you figure out what you're supposed to be doing. But I just don't have to use them yet. Lots of people have said that to me, I'm sure, just in their heads. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you if if you played well, I have the answer for it, but mm -hmm. I'm not going to have to use it if you don't. Mm -hmm. decks who have answers and decks who ask like questions mm -hmm. i think you and i have had that conversation when i like first started playing competitively and coming to events it was kind of like a, a light bulb moment for me like when i first moved here and it's just like you there when you there are certain decks you play or when you play you're you're presenting questions and your opponent has to have the answers and sometimes it's vice versa mm -hmm. and i think that's just a great way of describing like basically what we've been talking about where it's just yeah it's you asking your opponent or you answering questions that your opponent like gives you. Yeah. When you're like breaking serve, you are answering, answering, answering. Mm -hmm. And then when you break serve, you say, actually, no, look at me. I am the captain. I'm the now. captain you, now. Yeah, you yeah. Say, I'm, ask, <laughs> I'm asking. I'm asking. I'm asking the damn questions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't wait so, to look you in the eye someday and say, I'm asking the questions here. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I hope it's like at an actual like RCQ, like big time event. You're just like, look at me. Look at me. I'm the captain now. I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm going to die, aren't I? <laughs> I jokingly will do this when I am bullied into playing commander and <laughs> that I will ah. just put a die in front of each player and then just like say who the threat is. Actually, I'll be like, 
That's you did that the last game of Commander we forced you to play. I think I think you wrote it <laughs> down or just put a dice like unknowingly in front of somebody. <laughs> that is a big weakness of Commander is understanding who's the threat and who's not. Because it doesn't matter. <laughs> because the people that can that can identify that are incentivized to not do so. Mm -hmm. Because if I understand who is the aggressor and I take a defensive posture to stop them, then the other two players in the pod are just going to ignore it and do and take a huge advantage. Or they just don't do anything impactful. And my defensive posture just means that the game takes longer. Oh, no. Well, or they pick, <laughs> they pick each other off and then you're just left with that person and you take care of them anyway. It depends on the situation you're talking about, right? Like, there's, yeah. if there's four people in a game and two people are like, oh, no, this person's the threat. That can mean also, which it's meant to me before, somebody misidentified me as a threat and took me out. And I'm like, I'm not the threat. And then, you know, they lose the game anyway because the person who actually was the aggressor took them out the next turn. At the end of the day, right, like all games of magic are zero sum. And if the goal is to win, games of magic are zero sum. There is one winner, whether it's multiplayer or 1v1, there's mm -hmm. one winner. And I guess in multiplayer, something that has always bothered me about those formats is that if the three of us are playing in a pod, Kyle's fuck up might hurt me. In a game of 1v1, Kyle's fuck up is going to help me. Mm-hmm. If Kyle like does something incredibly donkey brained and just, just like, <laughs> like looks at your board with no blockers, looks at you with three life, looks at his three power attacker and just says pass. And then you untap and combo kill the table. I do not like that. My win percentage is negatively affected by people being stupid. <laughs> Unless that people is me, my God given right. I get to be as stupid as I fucking want and lose myself as many games as I yeah. want. Yeah. But I'll be my God right damn. Damn American to be dumb. I'll be damned if I'm going to let someone else's fuck up punt the game for me. <laughs> yeah. Anthony really loves Commander, everyone. Yeah. Let it be he known. It. He, re he really loves it. <laughs> I love that Commander has given me a better understanding into the writings of Samuel Beckett. I knew you'd find a way to bring it in someday. <laughs> Nothing's funnier than unhappiness. <laughs> oh, you've definitely said that before. Never mind. I say that all the damn time. He says time. that all the time. <laughs> He's also said, like, his brain's broken. He just loves doing that shit. Yeah. Um, Empathy, Anthony, it's fine. Empathy's fine. I enjoy experiencing your feelings, especially if those feelings are discomfort. I did spend yesterday chasing a child around a park with an RC car saying, they're coming to get you, Barbara. <laughs> what the fuck? Poor oh Nate. my god. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I knew the child, so it was all right. I think you have to specify that or it gets really, really weird. <laughs> no. So, I want to bring it back to Kyle's example about the Merktide. Okay. Like, Merktide versus Yogmoth, right? Mm -hmm. Where they have, they're showing you counterspell mana. Okay, and you have a court of calling that will win the game if it resolves. You're gonna go get a blood artist. You've already got your two undying. Your, your, your two undying guys, and you're ready to just bounce them off each other. Just ping pong those idiots out of each <laughs> other and draw a card and lose a life every time. You've got a Yogmoth's bargain assembled in play. What are some things that you care about when you're deciding? Do I play this or do I not? I think that's the big question, right? Because that's how you're gonna be asked to apply this concept in real life. When you're actually playing games, 
what are the things I care about? Because you might not have any good hints about what's in their hand. They've got a couple cards in their hand, but you don't know what they could be just yet. So what are things you're looking at? What do you care about here? And I'll give you a hint. They relate to the topic of like when to break serve and what a holding pattern is. I'd say what their clock is and what my life total is. That matters, right? What's their life total at too? Mm -hmm. If this does, if this court of calling doesn't resolve, can I just do minimal beats, maximum effort type things when fairly, you know, do they have cards in hand? That's also a big thing. I, so I absolutely love the thing you said about like, if the court of calling doesn't resolve, right? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like a lot of people approach it that way. Like plan, like my plan A is Yawgmoth combo and my Mm -hmm. plan B is anemic beat. Mm -hmm. Switch them. Fuck it. You're like, you're looking at this. They don't have really, they don't really don't have a board. And you're just like between Yawgmoth and this, these two fucking young wolves. Mm -hmm. I've got, I've got six damage in play. You're at 10. Attack you for six. Go. And then you just have the court of calling, right? But if you cast the court of calling and they counter it, then your plan B is, okay, now attack, you go. All of a sudden, you're in danger because you, mm-hmm. they never can get punished for tapping out because that court of calling is gone. Mm-hmm. Now imagine instead if you just say, I'm never tapping these lands. The second you show me that you do not have enough mana to interact with this court of calling, I will resolve this court of calling and kill you immediately. Okay. The second you say, unholy heat, target your 2-2 young wolf. You tap that de- they tap they they tap their last mana to do it. You go, okay, now court of calling. Mm-hmm. And you get to get that easy answer because you identified correctly. If this stays the way it is, I'm winning this game. I don't need to do more. My opponent has to interact with me in order to not die. I'm going mm-hmm. to wait for them to interact with me, and that's when I will smack them. And I think specifically with the Yawgmoth example too, is like you and you waiting to like smack back and ha- having your opponent have to interact with you and like asking all those questions. I feel like a lot of players when they play Yawgmoth, they're like, oh, it's just the combo. Like, I, like this is how I win. It's like, no, sometimes you creature beats. Then you can just come back and play the lethal court of calling. See when to be patient or when to be aggressive. And you can win in different ways too. It's not mm-hmm. just like my deck only wins this way. It's like, no. So I've, I've won games with just Grist and Young Wolf. I think Grist is a really good example, right? Mm-hmm. Against Murktide is you resolve that and you say, listen, I don't have to do anything else. Yeah. You're going to have to jump through some hoops to stop me from just Gristing you to death. Yep. And you just don't spend any mana. We've all heard about how the Murktide deck is really, really bad against, against Urza's Saga. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is they play an Urza Saga and then the holding pattern just benefits them all of a sudden. Yeah. They're just like, I don't have to cast anything. I don't have to care about your Archmage's Charm or Spell Pierce or Counterspell in your hand. Mm-hmm. I am just going to stay on this holding pattern and it is going to win me the game. It's a question you're presenting to your opponent. Like, can you deal with this? Yeah. Now, there are a lot of things you can check on for yourself. If you're mm-hmm. trying to figure out what your opponent could have in that situation, like not to discount that, Like you could be like, oh, they might not have enough cards in their graveyard to delve out a Murktide, so it could be a Murktide in their hand. They don't have Delirium, so this could be an unholy heat in their hand because they want to kill Yawgmoth with it. 
it could be a counter spell because I haven't put anything onto the stack that they they would reasonably counter. Like those are all valid things you should be thinking you can be thinking about that might give you clues as to what's in their hand, but we don't always get those clues and we don't always notice them. And I'd argue that identifying the holding pattern and identifying who is ahead on board if nothing changes is more important than being able to suss out what cards are in your opponent's hand. I think you should develop both. Everyone should develop both of those skills. They're both mm. really helpful. But if you have to pick one to work on first, I'd pick out the holding pattern because once you get to a certain point, you're playing against people that do understand this and knowing who is offensive and who is defensive in a given situation will help you identify <laughs> what cards are in their hand. Because, you know, you everyone's heard somebody say it. Oh, if they had X, they would have cast it so they don't have it. That's um, not necessarily true all the time. So it's true unless you're wrong or they're wrong. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Either you're wrong and them casting it is not the right play or they're wrong and they should have cast it. Mm -hmm. But we're assuming that for the most part, people are at a place in their magic playing where they don't need a ton of help feeding players who are playing bad. For a lot of folks, they're, they're not quite in that. They're, they're not in a position where they really need help. Also, in that specific instance, if you are operating at a reasonable percentage on, on level one, you're going to beat most of the players that just like are just doing bad stuff, right? Yeah. That just like don't know what's up just because and just as a reminder, level zero is I am accurately playing and resolving my spells and abilities. Level one is the same as level zero. Plus, I have a game plan and I'm moving to execute my plan. If you're doing that and you're playing against somebody who's playing really suboptimally, you probably don't need to be sussing out what's in their hand. Yeah. Yeah. And it would be a fool's errand to try and do it based on what the right play would be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a great I think an even better example with mono white and a holding pattern is you have to choose you have three mana mm -hmm. and you have to choose between playing Adeline mm -hmm. or waking up and attacking with Immutavolt and holding up Brave the Elements, right? Yeah. So imagine that situation. You should when you're deciding, do I deploy this Adeline or do I just attack with what's on board for now and hold up Brave? Mm -hmm. what you've got to think of is if nothing changes, who wins this game? Okay. And if, if your answer is, oh, me, I'm killing them super quick. Don't. Yeah. You know, don't, don't blink. Just leave that up mm -hmm. and just say, I'm asking the questions and I've got your next answer rolled up here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this makes sense. I see it. Can we talk about how much I fucking hate the phrase? You got to make them have it. Anthony does hate this phrase and it's really fucking stupid a lot of the time. i understand you gotta make them have it yeah when you're in like a position where the holding pattern benefits your opponent right yeah mm -hmm. and that's where these people have inevitably heard that phrase is oh, gotta make them have it yeah as in like i am backed into a corner i need to resolve this spell or i will lose i'm going to i think they might have it but i'm gonna make it so that they have to have to show me mm -hmm. yeah Pass the turn, I lose. If I think that one card in their hand is counterspell, if I resolve this spell, I don't lose. I'll say, gotta make them have it and cast the spell and they'll show me the counterspell. And that'll be that, right? Sometimes people will say, gotta make them have it as I'm not going to play around anything 
I'm not going to analyze if this is a good play to make or if it's not a good play to make because I just need to jam this every time. That explained a lot of the difference in win percentage between people who played Splinter Twin well and people who played it really badly. Yeah, I feel like that question comes up a lot when people play certain kinds of combo decks and Splinter Twin is a, a great example. Mm-hmm. When you can't say that when you're playing against a blue deck that has five cards in hand and they could have multiple multiple counter spells and the mana to play them, right? I mean, yeah, sometimes you have to, right? If you're at three and they've got a flip Delver, you got to make them have it. Mm-hmm. Even if you think they're almost certain to have, they, they, they have to have something. They have something for sure, right? You're like, they've got it. Yeah. You say, make them show it to me and then do the one thing that makes you not die if it resolves. Like, you, that's what what that's what gotta make them have it mean. Gotta make them have it does not mean they have a bunch of mana up. I've got a Deceiver Exarch. I'm gonna tap all four of my lands and play a Splinter Twin on this Deceiver Exarch. Gotta make them have a removal spell or a counter spell or a Rakdos's Charm or and you know that's not that's not what gotta make them have it means gotta make them have it does not mean i i I hate it when it's used as code for i do not want to think about anything i just want this game to be over one way or the other right now i feel like that that phrase comes up a lot when it's just like oh gotta make them have it i'm like you're both at 20 it's turn four you're not backed into a corner like you still have to play the game like we're talking about back being backed into a corner. We're talking about like the who does the holding pattern. Sometimes it's not like so cut and dry as the examples yeah. we're making. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes you look at it and you're just like, mm, I think the holding pattern benefits makes their win percentage go up by ten percent. Like we're talking mm-hmm. examples where the win percentage goes up to a hundred percent, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And sure, it's great when everything's like we talked about. It's great when everything's a hundred percent, but it's not always the case. Like you got sometimes you got to make them have it if them untapping, even if even if it's not even if you don't die, if they have it like you can be playing against Murktide and be in a situation where you've got this lethal court of calling and you and they might have the counter spell for it. But if you just pass the turn with quarter calling up and then they don't cast anything and they like attack you for three and put you down to 14. You're at 14. You're not dead if you don't cast yeah. it. That might be that might be a situation where you look at that holding pattern and you say, even if it's not an absolute win for them, if I don't cast anything right now, that might put them so far ahead that that's the case. Let's say an even better example. You have the blood artist and you have one undying creature and you have the cord for the second undying creature. The, the examples are always way better when you don't just have a Yogmoth's will in play yeah. <laughs> or a Yog bargain in play. Because if you have a Yog bargain in play, the holding pattern benefits you every yeah. fucking time because yeah. you can just draw seven cards. Give me yeah. all them cards. <laughs> so let's say you've got your Blood Artist, you've got your Young Wolf, you've got your Yogmoth, and they attack you. They attack you for for six in the air, and you go down to, and you go down to eleven. And you've got this court of calling and you didn't spend any mana on your turn and you didn't spend any mana on their turn. And you've got some other stuff that you might want to cast, maybe. And you're looking at it. Will you die this turn if you don't cast anything? 
and just waste the mana and untap and and crack back for three or whatever, you know? Nah, probably not. But every turn that goes by will make them more likely to have whatever it is. And if they're correctly identifying the holding pattern of, hey, if nothing changes, I'm going to win, they'll just not do anything. They're never mm-hmm. going to tap that mana. Yeah. Put the fear of God in you. Yeah, they're going, if they're, let's say I'm on Murktide and you're on Yawgmoth, like who, who would have guessed that's a matchup that could have ever happened? <laughs> if you're showing me, if you're passing with mana up, I'm just like, oh, he's got quarter calling, I think. Mm-hmm. And I've got two Delirious Dragon's Rage channelers in play. I'm not adding you're anything not doing to this anything. board. I'm not yeah. tapping any mana. I don't care. I'm going to attack you with the channelers and pass. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make you do something because the holding pattern benefits me even if it means I don't win this turn, if I attack every time I attack you, my win percentage goes up. Oh yeah. So that's what makes this so hard. Mm-hmm. It's it, the examples we've given up until this point are really pretty straightforward in that if you don't do anything, you're going to die this turn right now. Easy. That's you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what if not doing your thing this turn gives them 20 percentage points? What if it gives them 10? Five. Five. Yeah. Where do you where do where where does it matter? How do you evaluate how much something is going to help them or not? Mm-hmm. And how do you identify when to break serve? It's one of the hardest things in magic, I feel. It's just it's mm-hmm. so it's just so difficult. But you know, it's it's part of the game. And it, you get better when you identify like what, what you've been talking about, where like who benefits if nothing changes. That's it, the single easiest thing I think. That's not all of identifying holding patterns, but mm-hmm. I think that's the single easiest way yep. to get a percentage points on your on your on your matches of magic mm-hmm. is just saying if nothing changes, who wins? Yeah. Yeah. That's the identifying that basic holding pattern is the easiest part of all of this. If nothing changes, who wins? That's a you but you need to have that in mm-hmm. order to start. Otherwise, you can never make an informed decision on do I try to take the offensive here or not if you're misidentifying what the whole who the holding pattern benefits you might be on the offensive and think you're on defense yeah if you both have dothy void walkers cracking back and forth if you've done your math wrong you might think oh i'm actually on defense when you're actually should be on offense like mm-hmm. identifying these holding patterns is easy step one step two is now that i know which role i'm in who the holding pattern benefits I, I, I know that I should be the one to either preserve it or change it, depending on if I'm on defense. I'd like to eventually change that. And if I'm on offense, I want to preserve that holding pattern. And then if you know that you do want to change the holding pattern, you want to pick the best possible time to do that, preferably when you can when you can stifle some of your opponent's offense and then transition to being offensive yourself. Those best moments when you get to turn the corner are the moments moment I don't want to step on the guessing game you know I don't want to step snippet. on anyone's guess for our yeah. guessing game but one of the great moments to turn the corner is when you restoration angel was a great example right mm. like oh, yeah. Avison restored Re- restoration angel sometimes you would just flash in a restoration angel eat their three power attacker untap attack them for five you have broken serve there right mm-hmm. you were getting beaten to death by this three power guy you go resto block untap attack you leave mana up, I'm good to go. You're just saying, you were on offense, but now I'm the one that is saying, can you answer this restoration? 
how the turntables have turned. We'll hear a lot of stuff about like control and mid range and aggro decks, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Simply put, like, I think that that kind of messes people's thinking up a little bit because control, mid range, and aggro are all different things, are, are different archetypes for deck construction, mm-hmm. not gameplay. Not during game. Exactly. Thank you, Kyle. Not during gameplay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because you're either on defense or you're on offense. Mm-hmm. You're either the control deck or the beatdown at mm-hmm. any given point. Control decks are constructed with the plan that they are going to take a defensive posture mm-hmm. and then turn the corner. They're very happy being in a defensive role. Aggro decks are decks that are very happy being in an aggressive role. Mm-hmm. And don't do so great when they're playing defense. Mono white humans and pioneers are really good example. Ashley. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Like that deck sucks when you have to block. No, yes. it's awful. I hate it. <laughs> yeah. So aggro decks in a game, when they are played in a game, are decks that want to be taking on the aggressive role and aren't really great at playing defense. Control decks, when you construct them, are decks that take on the defensive role and aren't really great at closing out the game. They're not really great at taking on the aggressive role. The Nefalia Drownyard control deck from way back when was really, really good at playing the defensive role and really bad at closing out the game mm-hmm. quickly because it was Nefalia Drownyard control. Took a it while. had four mana, your opponent mills three. Mm-hmm. And that was just an activated ability on a land you had. Man. So on your end step, mill you for three. Untap, draw, go. On your end step, mill you for three. Like you were just doing that for turn after turn. You are not good at, you are not very good at when it came time to turn the corner and try to start closing out the game. You were not very good at doing that quick. And God forbid your opponent had like big haymaker threats that they could just jam eventually. Yeah. Like the, like at that point you had to bring in like, you had to bring in the two one that couldn't have damage dealt to him and just try to beat them to death with that is bad. Gloom surgeon. That would take two, so two long. long beats. Yeah. It did. It, yeah. <laughs> it was a faster clock than Nefalia Dragon. Yeah. Yikes. It was the Snapcaster beats in the blue white control deck that Anthony usually plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mid range decks are decks that are like, I can be on the defensive role and I can be on the offensive role and I'm really good at switching back and forth, Mm -hmm. you know? Good old Rakdos. But when you're, yeah, good old, like Rakdos. It's a good example. It's a really good example. I hate it. I hate that example. Why? I think, because I don't think Rakdos is a mid-range deck at all. Yeah, it's more of an aggressive deck. It's an aggro deck. It's an aggro deck, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Hmm. But everybody calls it mid-range. from 20... John from people 2015. Are... That's the yeah, people are people are bad. I don't think I don't think Rakdos mid range is actually a mid range deck at all. I think it's an aggro deck because all of its cards kind of suck when you are in a defensive position. It's better when you're aggressive. Yeah, all of your cards are way better when you are in an offensive position. I think the deck is when properly constructed is constructed with that in mind. Mm-hmm. In that it is you are specifically planning on being in the offensive role most of the time and understand that when you're in the defensive role, you want to be able to break serve quickly and get back into the offensive role. And if you spend an extended amount of time in the defensive role, you're probably going to lose. I've seen a lot of people with misbuilt Rakdos decks, like built as very strong mid-range decks 
lose a lot of really close games when they were forced to be on defense a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of well-built aggro, Rakdos aggro versions of the deck. And mm -hmm. the difference, by the way, is like six cards. Mm -hmm. They would, if, if in those same games, if they were put in a defensive position, they would lose faster. But they're better at not getting in that position in the first place, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of like how your insurance costs more if you had a bunch of car wrecks. <laughs> yeah. Insurance jokes with Magic so, the Gathering. Kyle, you've played some Burn in Modern over the years, right? Yeah, the deck hates me, but I've played it. Yeah. Have you played any? Have you played any Infect? More than Burn. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So but I know the matchup. Yeah. You've played Infect against Burn back in the day. Mm -hmm. Yes. Burn is an aggro deck in deck construction and yes. it plans very much to be an aggro deck in games most of the time it's mm -hmm. just like hey i'm gonna take on the aggressive role i'm asking the questions here mm -hmm. i'm the captain now look at me but, but in <laughs> this matchup tell him tell him tell but in this matchup you are the control deck because all of your spells deal three damage to face or creature but in this thing it's like all right infect glycerin elf give it a bunch of pants, one-shot you. You're playing burn. You're like, nope, I'm not tapping out. I have to kill the threat. You're the yeah. control deck in this situation. It's so funny because even like the, what is a great example of I am on the aggressive every time, mm -hmm. even that deck takes on a defensive role sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Would you call burn a control deck in deck construction ever? No. 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 But it will take on a control role. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's important to distinguish your role in game versus your deck design. The deck design might be, you might call that like Boros Burn, Boros Aggro, something like that. Mm -hmm. It's an aggressive deck. But understanding that just because it's called an aggro deck doesn't mean that you're never on defense. Mm -hmm. And just because it's called a control deck doesn't mean you're never forced to be aggressive and turn the corner. Yeah, it's the same thing with like blue-white control. Sometimes you're the beatdown deck. You know, you're activating, you know... In like OG, like OG Modern, you're activating Colonnade and you have a Snapcaster mm -hmm. and you just turn a dude sideways. You're not always just defensive. I think Wandering Emperor is a really good card that taught a lot of blue-white control stands how to how important that was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I can see that. Guessing game? Guessing game. I like a guessing game. H hinted at a little bit. Mm -hmm. We've talked about when to jam, when not to, but the guessing game is cards that have helped you turn the corner or break serve. Mm -hmm. I have My one. Do you have a card? Oh. I have one ready to go. Oh, we're going to do Anthony so first. No, no, no. I want to do Ashley first. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, hold up. I got it. All right. Give us a hint. Okay. Cryptic only. No, we're going to, we're going to hope that I'm correct about this, but I think I am. Cryptic hint, number one. Cryptic command. No. Oh, wait, um, I'll say that for Anthony. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is a colorless card. Oh, is it a land? No. Okay. Did it play in Eldrazi Shrine? No. Okay. Question mark? It is currently seeing play. A pioneer? Yes. Is it an artifact? Yes. Is it a vehicle? Yes. Bank busing? No. Not <laughs> is it Sky Sovereign? It is. Ooh, oh, yeah. That, oh, that's so, oh my God, Ashley. That's so cool. I love that because that's like such a great example oh, of yeah. how somebody would break serve mm -hmm. against the mono white aggro deck. Mm -hmm. I 
oh my god that makes me feel like that's really good like that's you're really, really good. like that's you that's just showing you just like super engaging with what's going on here mm-hmm. and like internalizing it on just like oh my god i'm so happy i'm so proud <laughs> oh god don't cry anthony it'll be okay <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I love that's that too. A... That's great. That's so good. So I was thinking about the game such that I a good example. The game that I played against Grease Fang at the mm-hmm. RCQ. I was in a pretty good spot. I was playing on curve. I was doing pretty well. And up until that fucking boat. The fucking came boat. Out yeah. Of the graveyard. And I'm just like, well, here we go. And or no, he had it he had it. Either way. When the know. boat yeah. hit the hit the play field, it was just over. Yeah. yeah. Like I was you just could sense that change. Yes, mm-hmm. it, you mm-hmm. because it kills something with three shifted. damage. Yes, yeah. with all of the creatures in mono white, other than an Adeline, but you have to have five creatures in play. But like all of the creatures are susceptible to this, so it's just getting to attack you for six in the air, which you can't deal with, and taking out a creature in the meantime. So like you're just you see that boat and you cry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, boat and whether it's like vehicles or grease fang or mono green, mm-hmm. just you the mono white player and the boat hits, you're just like, I could it just be portal of Phyrexia? At least I'd have a chance. If it's the boat, I'm fucked. Like, yeah, <laughs> because that's them. That's them blunting your assault. Yep, and then being able to go on the offensive mm-hmm. and reduce your win percentage greatly every time. Not only oh, they're right. hitting you for six in the air, they're killing another one of your guys. It's a whole. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful, beautiful example. Love it. I love that. I'm overjoyed beyond words. So happy. All right. Mine's annoying. All right. Really? Hit us. Is it Cryptic Command? No. Is the second most played card from Dragon's Maze. Wait. Oh. What <sighs> cards are played in Dragon's Maze? That's well, it's, like it's, it's, not res- it's not Voice of Resurgence because th- you hate those colors. So yeah. what was another card that was played from? <laughs> oh, my God. Does it have blue in its color identity? It does. Fucking Dragon's Maze. Dragon's Maze is commonly acknowledged as like one of the worst magic sets of all time. Correct. Yes. I loved it. It really forced Standard into like a really cool low power level kind of situation with good mana, mm-hmm. which is kind of what I love. Yes. Is is it Demir? Its color identity is not Demir. Hmm. But if you said, is this a Demir card? I would say, yeah, kind of. Does so it have play- hybrid mana? No. Okay. So it's played in a Demir deck. Yeah. I mean, it's not played in anything anymore. No, but I assumed you were talking about 10 years ago like it was yesterday, so. Yes. <laughs> Wait, when did Dragon's Maze come out? Oh, no. It's oh, probably uh, than 10 years. 2010? It's 10 years. <laughs> Released in 2013. Hey! I did great! So, so is it mono it's blue? A, it is mono blue, and I will tell you, it is a... Vidalcan? I want to make sure I'm getting this right. A Vidalcan? You know, the blue bald people from Ravnica. Yeah, I like Vidalcans. They're cool. They were on Mirrodin, too. I'm sorry. Oh, that, oh, no. That squeak was probably real loud. I'm sorry. <laughs> Another Nazgul screech. Yeah. <laughs> I am the Nazgul. I've got another hint, but I want to make it a good one. Okay. It needs research. <laughs> this effect has been printed in all of the rug colors. Hmm. And a previous version of this card, arguably significantly better. Now, significantly better, not arguably. It's it, it's almost strictly better. Was printed in Urza's Saga. I mean, honestly, none of these hints are helping me. No. 
But like all that. of the variants of it have the same last four letters. And those last four letters are L-I-N-G. Like the effect also appeared in a Lara block on a green creature called Thornling. Oh, is it a cycling card? Were you saying the effect or the name of the card ended in L-I-N-G? The, the name of oh, the card. Oh, the name of the card. Okay, okay. sorry. The name of the card and the name of every other version of the card. Because it. it comes from a family of cards. Okay. They all end in Ling. The name of the card all ends in Ling. Morphling? The gr- Morphling? No, Aetherling. Great card, but Aetherling. Yes. Is the one the, oh, I was fuck. That was about. in Dragon's Maze. I totally forgot. Aetherling is a four blue, blue, six drop, four, five. That has four activated abilities on it. Cam. One, for a blue, you can exile Aetherling and return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. Two, for a blue mana, you can make Aetherling unblockable. Three, for a generic mana, you can give Aetherling plus one, minus one until the end of turn. And the last one, for one generic mana, you can give it minus one, plus one until end of turn. So you would play this card, and your opponent would look at it and they would say, I can't ever attack into this because it's a four or five right now, which will probably block my guy profitably. But even if I attack into it, they can block it and make it a three, six instead, mm-hmm. and it'll still survive. Yeah. Or they can untap, make it unblockable, hit you for four, or they can untap, make it unblockable, hit you for six or seven mm-hmm. or eight. They could make it an 8-1. Jesus. And then they could just pay a blue, exile it, and then on their end step, it comes back as a 4-5, untapped, ready to block again. Woof. In any in any situation, it helps you turn the corner. Yep. It's, this, it's, it's so good. It's just, I'm going to stabilize, and I'm going to threaten to close out the game. You now have to have an answer for Aetherling, and mm-hmm. also all of your answers suck. All your removal spells, I'm just going to exile, I'm just going to blink it. Yep. Your sweepers, no good. Oh, you're going to make your board super, super wide? Unblockable. Attack you for four. Exile it. Supreme verdict. End step. It comes back. Jesus. That's the ultimate Anthony pick. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. That's, oh, chef's kiss. I've played a lot of Aetherling. <laughs> I loved, I loved, and that's, that's a card that of Dragon's Maze were a less poopy set. I don't think that a card like that could have ever been as dominant in standard yeah. as Aetherling was. Mm-hmm. Very true. So I love a low power level format where cards like this that present you with a million choices and all of them are kind of like not great on their own can be played. Yeah. Awesome. Like and then there's me. <laughs> yeah. And then there was one. <laughs> so I will say the boring answer, the boring card I would pick is Yogmoth because you just have a Yogmoth's bargain and I didn't I decided not to pick that one because I picked you can't pick it. for your band. Oh, good. You picked yeah. it too I was much. going to if you if you didn't start exactly. with this, I was going to just say Yogmoth. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I picked another card, and the only hint I will give you is the Gremlin stole my baby. Stole my baby. Oh uh, the Gremlin stole my baby. It's not claim the firstborn, is it? It is. <laughs> Jesus. He gets it right off the bat. Well, of course he did. Come on. Yeah. Like, no, but, anything else. but claim, like, I've had it played against me and I've played it a few times. There's just so many times where, especially when it's been played against me, where 
they have the the Racto Sacrifice deck is just doing their thing. They claim one of my creatures, sack it, they get back into it, and then you know bury me and advance like you know just with a mayhem devil because this is me playing mono white and mm -hmm. there's one time like i was able to just steal a old growth troll swing for a bunch sack it and you know barely beat a mono green opponent but yeah that that card just like me playing it and having it played against me has just helped <laughs> like get back in games I think specifically playing the first born is really good at wrestling, like breaking serve back, right? Mm -hmm. Like your opponent is like stabilized. You're just yep. like, ah, no, nope. you didn't, idiot. <laughs> yeah. Just like I really taking it right like back. That. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. It's really good about kind of snatching that back from somebody. Mm -hmm. I like that. Literally. Opinion. I had a feeling you would get that with that, that hint. Well, you said the name of the card just in slightly different words. <laughs> you have to do an art of that card now. Oh my god, that'd be so funny. Do with the goblin, like our goblin, you know? Or or it's just Jareth the Goblin King. Or it's just Anthony stealing a goblin. <laughs> you can do that too. It, it's Wall of Roots stealing me. <laughs> oh no. Oh my god, I'm gonna make I'm going to write the most oh, no. salacious erotic novel. Oh my god. About Kyle and the Wall of Roots. Oh it's going to be strictly no. body horror. No, I'm not gonna come out of this no. alive. No, or worse, completely damaged. Don't be silly, Kyle. Decay exists as an extant form of life. I don't. I don't like this. I'm very scared. You can't hurt me in any way that matters. I'm sad. I'm just gonna text all of you at like 3 a.m. and be like, I haven't gone to bed yet. I'm terrified. Tell me. There's tell a bush me the outside. <laughs> the tree in my front yard is moving weird, and I'm scared. The plants are coming to get me. Wait a second. This is just the plot to Trolls 2. Oh, my God. See, Kyle, the trick is to stock yourself with double-decker bologna sandwiches because that is how the child defeated those vegetarian goblins that were trying to turn him into a plant and eat him. With, bo with bologna sandwiches. <laughs> Has anybody seen that movie? No. Yes, it's... it's. Oh, my God. It's one of the worst. It's one movies. of the worst. But it's, it's so good. The, I, I, I watched it, and then I watched the documentary, Best Worst Movie. Yeah. About it. It was beautiful.